Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm excited, I'm blessed, and grateful to be sitting here with Jimmy Murray. Jimmy, how are you, sir? I'm doing well today. I appreciate the opportunity to come on the show and, and talk to your audience. Absolutely, man. Thank you for taking the time. And I know it's going to be a lot of fun today. And we were just talking before we got on the show. My barber is treating me well during the quarantine. Yours does <laughs> not appear to be. Uh, at least that's what we hear under the hat. There's some. Uh, there's something you're concealing there. But uh, how's that going for you? So Sunday, I got to be honest, like I looked at my beard and I thought that I looked a little bit Amish. Like it was a little crazy. Like today, it's, <laughs> it's kind of put together. You can see if I move the hoodie around. But yeah. Uh, um, yeah, just figured clean up my look a little bit, but you're in good shape. You. You're in good shape. You're in good shape. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's going to be a really good show today. I'm really excited to dive in, get to know you, to introduce you to Elevate Nation, talk about systems, talk about property management, and talk about the commitment that you have to yourself in terms of investing in your own personal growth, what that looks like, what we can do to apply that into our own lives immediately so we can live a life without limits because we know the combination of investing in real estate successfully, you know, for the long term, as well as investing in yourself and committing to growing as an individual and becoming a peak performer in everything that you do is really the recipe towards creating and elevating to a life without limits. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want to ask Elevate Nation, are you ready to take it to another level? Because that's what we're absolutely going to do today. And I want to welcome you back to the show where our mission is to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. And, you know, this is where we're going to talk about the mindset. We're going to talk about the habits, the routines, the systems. You know, today we're going to talk about property management. We're going to talk about, you know, one of the most important components towards creating a successful real estate portfolio, which is, you know, really optimizing your property management, optimizing your asset management and strategically growing from there. And, you know, we're going to talk about tools and, and, and you know, tactics as well. But, you know, Jimmy is an individual who is elevating to a life without limits. So you want to take notes. You want to act immediately on what you learn so you can do the same yourself. And this is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through real estate investing and ultimately in their lives. And if you appreciate what we're doing, we would certainly be grateful if you subscribe to the show, if you gave us a rating, a review, a five-star review would be certainly helpful. Our goal is to reach millions and millions of people with this message because you know what, you don't have to live a life that you just tolerate. You can live a life that you're inspired by. You can live a life that you're fulfilled by. You can have fun, man. You can go travel the world. You can go meet people, build relationships all over this beautiful blue planet if you give yourself permission and you follow some tactics, you follow some strategies. So with that said, let's dive in. I want to introduce you to Jimmy, who is a millennial house hacker turned corporate dropout. Jimmy is the co-owner of Lion Property Management. Lion manages just under 600 doors in the Rhode Island and Southern Massachusetts markets. So with that said, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself behind the bio. Yeah, absolutely. So I cut my teeth in real estate by purchasing my first house hack in November of 2012. And that's when I caught the real estate bug. So via house hacking, I started wholesaling, but ended up buying a second house hack realized that house hacking coupled with the Burr method is an extremely critical tool or 
or could be used as an incredibly successful tool to building wealth quickly. Um, and that's what allowed me to quit my corporate job because at the same time I was building my side hustle. So when I bought my first four unit, I didn't have a ton of money and I had to figure out what my next step was in real estate. So like everybody does, they become a wholesaler and I did okay. I did make um, just under $30,000 the first year, um, but it wasn't enough to like get me out of the corporate grind. But what I realized is that I was really good at talking to tired landlords and that's what led me to get into property management, which sounds a little bit crazy, um, but it's what I enjoy doing. It's all about building the right systems and bringing the right people on board so we can deliver an exceptional product to our clients. I love it. And, you know, no investor left behind here. So when we're talking about house hacking, what, what he means is acquiring a small multifamily property, living in one unit and renting out the rest and essentially, you know, subsidizing, so to speak, some of your living expenses, perhaps even more, maybe there's some more cash flow there, but it's an effective strategy in terms of getting into the real estate business and getting into, you know, becoming an investor. And then when he talks about the Burr strategy, what you're talking about is buying, renting the property, you know, or re rehabbing, renting the property, refinancing, and then repeating. Correct. And it's a strategy that he's been able to employ in his portfolio to grow his holdings because, you know, you, you may start out with limited resources. And so these are a couple of different strategies that you can obviously employ in your own business immediately, no matter what sort of background you have and no matter what sort of resources you have right now. So talk to me about, you know, you sort of saw property management as another, you know, avenue for you to expand your reach, your influence, you know, your holdings in real estate. And you saw it to be an avenue that you liked. So what, what sort of skills did you identify that matched up with being, you know, an effective property manager? Absolutely. So I'm incredibly detail oriented, right? So I, I have a degree in finance. I became a financial, financial analyst out of college um, for a very large financial institution. It sounds a lot sexier than it is, but it's really just make sure all the T's are crossed and I's are dotted. Every penny is accounted for. Um, but having that kind of that financial savvy, but also being extremely process oriented, very details oriented, that's what led me to success with my first multifamily. And I realized that in becoming a property manager, launching a property management company, I can build off of that basis of skills and create, I, I think one of the coolest things that you said in the intro is you don't have to live a life that you tolerate, right? So I can remember my first year, my dad said to me, he's like, hey, how's the job going? I said, it's okay. He's like, well, you're making really good money for being a young kid. I was like, yeah, but I don't really like it. Like the money's good, yes. And honestly, I was there for six years because the money was good before I could actually build my side hustle and become a corporate dropout. But I, I think it's really important that you need to chase a life worth living, right? Don't just stick with something you tolerate. It is going to be painful to a certain extent when you make that transition or you're trying to build it as maybe you are living that life that you're tolerating, but you have to absolutely go out, take action every day and chase what you really want to chase. Yeah. Let's talk about that, man. Cause I, I experienced that myself out of college. I was like, man, is this seriously what we all work so hard for? It's like, this is <laughs> why we, I mean, I, I just felt like, I don't know about you, but I had this experience where it was like, man, it's five o'clock. And if I don't stick around for another hour, I'm going to be frowned upon, but I've yeah, been here since eight and I live like, the same life. How about effectiveness over, you know, time in the saddle, but that was not a concept that was really embraced. I mean, right. did you feel that way? Yeah, absolutely. Like it was, 
at one point I would go to the gym at lunch and that was frowned upon. And that yes. is crazy because Same. they, they were, they were super health centric. And I'm like, not that I'm like the fittest guy, but <laughs> it feels good to go and, you know, lift some For weights sure. at lunchtime and come back. And honestly, it gives me better mental focus. Yeah. But God forbid there was a question while I was in the gym and all, I can, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can use that word, but everything would break <laughs> loose and um, yeah. I'd, I'd hear it when you I come back. You can say hell, you can say hell. That's okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but I mean, like it was good, but it was just getting by and it wasn't what I really liked. So um, a book that I actually just finished this morning, it was, it's called the Icarus deception. Okay. So I'm a huge fan of Seth Godin. I'm an avid reader. Too. I actually, I look up over to my left. I have a full bookshelf. I look, I have like a kill shelf at home. I've got a couple of Seth Godin books right here in front of me, my I, man. I just read the dip two weeks ago. Is it good? I haven't read it yet. Yeah, it was solid. So I have an issue with quitting things. Got another um, one here. Tribes I've read. That's a solid one. Um, so if you have an issue quitting things, the dip is awesome because some things that dip happens and you've got to see it through. Mm-hmm. Other times that dip is actually a cul-de-sac and you're just going to wind up walking around that cul-de-sac and not get anywhere. Yeah. Um, so it, that's a really interesting concept. The Icarus deception, kind of like what we were talking about, is more related to we're all artists. And not art in the pure sense of you know getting a canvas and making a painting. Art in the sense of when we're truly following our passion and we're truly doing what we like, we're creating our own art. So for me, that's real estate investing. And one of my outlets of how I create art is my property management business. I really enjoy these things. I... Not that I always like to get on the phone and deal with the difficult tenant situations, but yeah. um, we have a knack for it. We've built a system and that's kind of our art to be able to provide that return on investment for owners. Um, so Seth Godin talks about it in that book. Um, and that was just really eye-opening for me and, and kind of made me reflect back on when I made my transition or decided to develop my side hustle before I made the transition because I want to do more. I want to create my own art rather than sitting in that, I used to call it the, uh, the cube farm rather than sit in the cube farm every day and creating art for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And really, you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. How did you, how did you identify that what it felt like to create art for you? Is it just, you feel the satisfaction of being excellent at what you do and then you know that that's your art or I'm just curious. Yeah. So I think it's really, so here's, here's the tough part that I kind of struggle with because the way that Seth Godin talks about it is like, you shouldn't be creating art or for the masses. You should create it for yourself first, right? Something that you enjoy. So I think about, for me, it's really providing value. A good property manager needs to provide value to their investors and work arm in arm with that investor in order to deliver that return. 
my art, when I found it, it was when I bought that first four family, it was a short sale. It was distressed, trying to bring in the right tenant miss, raising rents, um, redrafting leases, uh, 10 to 15,000 worth of rehab. But that was my art in order to like rebuild that multifamily. And that's, that's where I have a ton of fun is, mm-hmm. is purchasing or helping an investor with these distressed multifamilies in getting them to deliver the returns that they expected or that the previous owner couldn't, couldn't generate. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think that, um, you know, successful real estate investing is an art and it's a science. I mean, obviously there's, yeah. you know, you need to be able to understand the market. You need to be able to understand, you know, the potential future of this market. You know, what's the, what's been the past of the market? What, are the dem- what does the demographics look like? What is the cash flow in place today? You know, what right. can we create it to be in the future? I do find it to be interesting that, you know, many people who get interested in real estate investing, look at it as buy low and sell high, which in my opinion is much more of a speculation than an actual investment. And so I'd love to dive into that a little bit. I know you have a podcast called The Cash Flow Kings and you guys are all about cash flow. So yeah. I'd love to talk about what what would you what else would you say is the difference between a real investor and a speculator? That's a that's a great question. And I'm actually I'm gonna throw you a little bit of a curveball here. Um, so I love cash flow. If I could buy something and hold it forever, that's a great position to be in because that can create generational wealth and numerous other things, uh, time freedom as well. Right. Um, we've actually made a transition recently where we've been flipping multifamily properties, which sounds kind of crazy, but we found a niche in the market where we could buy these properties for around where we'd want to buy them to cash flow, rehab them a little bit, and then sell them to an owner occupied investor. Um, I, I think it's similar to what you said between the art and the science. I think what separates a, a great real estate investor from a speculator is someone who actually sits down and, and develops a deep analysis related to what they're about to accomplish, right? So exactly what you said, going out, if you're buying a multifamily, look at where the rents are at, where you can move them, paying attention to the capital expenditures, right? So is the heating system old? How's the electrical look? Is the roof got a hole in it? Those are the major expenses versus a lot of folks, a lot of speculators will go out in the market right now and they're like, well, everybody says real estate's hot. If I buy this multi, it's just going to print money. And that's not the truth. That's the furthest thing from the truth. No. Uh, you know, running a multifamily is like, it, it's similar to a farmer and having a garden, right? In the sense, like you need to water the plants every day or every so often. And you need to touch base with your tenants every so often. Or you need to provide them a level of service that, to meet a certain expectation. Now, if you just buy that multifamily, you expect it to print money, but you don't take care of any maintenance items when stuff goes wrong, <laughs> that multifamily is not going to send you any dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I learned the hard way myself early on just how critical, you know, expertise in property management is, you know, because I tried to manage my first property. And, you know, for me, you know, it was a great learning experience because I've learned by failing and fast and, and improving. But I'd love to know, I mean, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see other, either property managers or self-managers, whatever it may be, in terms of property management? Because specifically, I know on multifamily, like property management is the absolute most important component of your system. So talk to me there. Yeah. So I think where people fail is that they don't treat it like a business and they let emotion get too involved. So candidly, in our business, um, 
we have a very thorough screening process for clients that we bring on, but we particularly do not bring on as many single family properties. One, there aren't a ton of them in our local area. Um, two, if someone does have a single family that's an investor, it's typically inherited. I should have said investor with the air quotes here. Um, so when people have that, those inherited properties and they don't want to sell them and they want to rent them out for the residual income, um, a lot of times there's emotional attachment there and it holds them back from, you know, being that great investor. Um, so I, I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. All right. So essentially it's about delegating. It's about getting rid of certain tasks, right? Because, you know, some, they have, a, they have a problem with getting rid of the one property and they need to be involved in everything. They need to be involved right. in screening. They need to be involved in picking maintenance. What, what would you say are some of the components of excellent property management? I mean, obviously you guys, if you've got around 600 doors under your direct management, I mean, obviously you guys have developed systems. So talk to me about what does excellent property management look like? Yeah. So the lifeblood of property management and real estate investing is placing great tenants. If you can't place great tenants, you don't deserve to be in business and you shouldn't be a real estate investor. I know that that was really sharp and direct, but it's the truth. And part of that process in placing great tenants is proper unit turnovers. So where we really focus and where we really want to be excellent and be the best is when a tenant leaves. Now, obviously we don't want to see a tenant leave, but you need to go through that thorough turnover process. So from completing a move out condition statement to creating a turnover quote, all the way through the process of wrapping up that turnover work to marketing the unit correctly, to placing that great tenant. If you can keep that process really tight from a time perspective, so you mitigate vacancy costs, um, from a cost perspective by doing the right things at turnover, it's always gonna cost money at turnover. You should always be reinvesting back in your property. Um, those are the things that you really wanna pay attention to. A lot of investors get stuck and they're like, wait, I have to, you know, that tenant lived there for 10 years. Do I really have to paint the unit? I'm like, well, yeah, you should because a fresh coat of paint is gonna go a long way. Yeah. A large part of the turnover process for us is painting and flooring. So the first turnover is typically always the most expensive. And then the other turnovers after that thereafter, like a second or third turnover after you own the building, well, then maybe you put in a dishwasher or maybe you upgrade to stainless steel appliances. So you can keep not only increasing the quality of your unit, but increasing your rent and then hopefully increasing the quality of your tenant as well. All right. So we're starting there in terms of, you know, planting the seeds with good tenants, right? Because at the end of the day, the people who live in your property are going to make the biggest difference, right? Absolutely. So then once you get the people in there, you mentioned earlier, it's a farming sort of an approach, right? You got to be watering the plants on a daily basis. So it comes with being proactive. Does it come with being, you know, responsive and available for needs? Because there's going to be, that's one of the things too, is it's like, there's problems like real estate. There's always problems, especially in property management. Um, so am I making some assumptions here in terms of, you know, what to do thereafter in terms of developing excellent property management systems in terms of just taking care of the people, the good people that you got, uh, right. what else, what else am I missing here? So not only taking care of good people, but holding them accountable, right? So if someone doesn't pay rent, send the notice, say, Hey, look, so I know in Rhode Island, we cannot legally start the eviction process until the 16th of the month. So I can't charge a late fee until the 16th and then send my five day demand. So even if a tenant is $1 behind, they get a five day demand every single month. 
And I tell them, hey, listen, this is part of the process. I haven't heard from you. You haven't reached out to me to set up a payment plan and we keep it really tight. So it's also holding tenants accountable um, if they don't take out the trash. I can remember one time, uh, so I had a, the first building that I owned and it was probably the second year that I owned the building. Um, a tenant refused to take out his trash and it piled up. And it was in everybody's lease that they had to take out their own trash. So I called him and I said, hey, listen, his name was Justin. I said, Justin, listen, um, in your rent next month, I'm going to expect an extra $25. He said, well, why is that? I said, well, read your lease. You didn't take out your trash. So I had to take it out on your behalf. So now you owe me $25. And I know it sounds crazy. And he said, you cheap MF, whatever. Right. He was not happy. And even to the day that he moved out, he said, I can't believe that you're so cheap. You charged me $25 to take out the trash. He took out the trash every single week thereafter and never forgot again. <laughs> Who's cheap right. on this end of the spectrum, right? Right, exactly. So he, he did what he had to do, but you need to hold your tenants accountable because that's yeah. not only his experience as a tenant in your building, but experience for the other tenants. So if those other tenants go out there and they see that Justin's not taking out his trash, well, why are they going to be held responsible and continue to keep up the property? Mm-hmm. One thing I wanted, I want to get your feedback on. So this, a specific example that I had early on in my investing career was that I was like, you know what? I read every, I read every landlording book there was. And I'm like, all right, if they don't pay by the fifth, I'm giving them the late notice. If they don't have it in by the 13th, you know, I'm filing eviction and yep. you know, I'm setting the precedent from day one. Right. And it literally backfired on me so fast. It was crazy because I acquired a property where everybody was used to being late for years and years. And yep. years. The property, you know, the, the owner let them do it and they put them on whatever payment plans and anything went. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to come in here a new sheriff in town. I literally evicted half the property and it was like, okay, that, you know, I guess I set a precedent, but also at the same time, my cash flow is looking a little hurt here. So what would you, what would you say to somebody in that sort of circumstance? I mean, do you bend the rules in those sort of examples or what, what do you, what's your approach? Yep. So what I fall back on is the process, the process, nobody's bigger than the process. So I, I think you did the right thing, holding people accountable because what happens in that scenario is that most of the time, so if you buy a 10 unit building and say seven of the tenants are used to paying late and no one's corrected them and they've, the previous owner let them carry forward this bad habit of paying rent when they feel like it. When you start sending out those notices, I bet three of them fall in line immediately. Three of those seven, if it's seven out of 10 that are paying late. And then the other four, when they don't figure it out and you evict them, well, now you've got hopefully, you know, I'm trying to do my math here. So you have four that you evict, you have the other six. When you move in new renters into those other four units of the evicted tenants, those other six tenants are going to say, hey, listen, Tyler's really serious. In order, so I, I had another thought as I'm saying this. <laughs> um, so I always think about renting, renting one of our units or even renting one of your units, that is a privilege. In order to earn that privilege, you need to pay rent on or before the first every single month. Yeah, and then there are there are things that come with that privilege. So when you pay rent on or before the first, now we're going to take care of you from a maintenance perspective. You have that leaky faucet. We're going to come out. We're going to fix that faucet. But we're both going to show each other mutual respect. You pay me, and then we'll we'll provide the level of service that you expect. And I think that's really important. So yeah, um, I think you did the right thing. It sounded painful. Um, I did that on yeah. my second, I did that on my second building. I came in and increased all the rents and, uh, I think I spent the better part of July and August painting units. So yeah, 
my friends are like, come to the cookout. I'm like, I'm still painting. So <laughs> yeah, um, I guess the, I guess my feedback on the whole thing was, all right, I, I agree. Nobody's bigger than the process. Stick to the process. And when you do stick to the process, you know, the worst case scenario is possible. I mean, I guess is the, you know, not to be a negative thinker, obviously you want to, you want to think big and you want to still, you know, execute on what you're looking to execute with your business plan. But just know that if you file an eviction, they, they may not pay, they may be out. I mean, that's right. very possible. Uh, right. that was at least my takeaway, but, um, yeah. So I, I think that's huge. Um, it's all about having that game plan on the way in. Um, and sometimes you don't know, right? I mean, yep. we bought, we bought a building two months ago and the owner told us that one of the former tenants was a marijuana grower. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't one of the tenants. It was the owner and their marijuana <laughs> business went South. I mean, which I would have been okay. I mean, we got a great deal on the property, so I didn't care if it was the owner, if it was a tenant, whatever it was. Um, but I just thought that was really interesting. So what other crazy things have you seen? I mean, that's, that's one of the things too, is like people who listen to a podcast like this, they're either, they're either invested, they've gone big and they're expanding, they're scaling, or they're interested in real estate because they agree that it's a vehicle towards creating an outcome in their life. But, you know, sometimes people, when you get sort of stepping in the door of real estate, especially on the property management side of things, if you're talking about multifamily properties, there's some crazy things. I mean, what, what are some of the more horror stories that you've experienced? Yeah. So I can give a, a really relevant <laughs> COVID-19 story right now. So okay. um, this, this may sound a little bit heartless, but this was an eviction prior to all of this stuff coming down. So this is a problem tenant. It was a, it's a one bedroom unit in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And the tenant disrupted the whole building. So we turned over all the other units, great te three tenants stayed. We have two new tenants. Um, and we just had this one problem tenant. So I find that the worst tenants typically pay and then cause issues to all the other tenants. So we were finally able to get her and we received a court stipulation that she was supposed to be out April 1st. Well, we received a couple of reports that she did move out and her daughter moved in with four other friends. God. So Tuesday morning, I'm over there or I got a call from one of the other tenants. I guess they're partying in Rhode Island. Uh, the social distancing order from the governor is no more than five people. So you should only have interactions with five people. So legitimately, you can see me. I'm at, I'm at home right now. I'm not in my office. So um, going a little quarantine crazy. But yep. um, I had to go out to the building to do a safety check. So I called the police. They actually sent out four squad cars, which was kind of crazy. Um, but they had been having parties with like 10 to 15 people every night disturbing the rest of the building. Um, they legitimately like swept the unit. Like somebody tried to jump out the front window um, and the police were inside and they got the names of everybody else. Uh, but here's, here's like the craziest scenario that we're playing with now, because obviously I have a fiduciary duty to my client to make sure that you know, that tenant leaves. Obviously I can't do anything until the courts reopen to get an execution to bring the constable and I'll probably have to physically pull them out or remove them at this point. Um, but I talked to the police and I said, Hey, listen, based on the governor's order, if I call you back in two days and those people are still there and they're not just visiting, like they said, are you guys able to do anything? And he said, no. I said, well, what if I call and there's 10 people in that unit? You know, we have that rule of five and he said, no, nah, I can't do anything. I just reported to the governor's office and I can't do anything else. Wow. Wow. So um, even when you try to do the right things and try to document it, because I tried to get them on a breaking entering because the daughter was not on the lease and the police couldn't do anything just because of like the current climate and the daughter said she was on the lease. So they said it was a civil matter. So wow. 
the good news is that the other tenants in the building saw me there trying to take an active approach to do the right thing. So hopefully that eases kind of their anxiety for a little bit until the courts reopen so that we can, you know, move forward with the process. Yeah. And I mean, it's long-term, right? It's a long-term game. So at the end of the day, you will win, you'll still win by doing the right thing. And then just going back to the theory and the thought process of no one is bigger than the process, no matter what. Right. Yeah. Here, it just goes back to that. So I love that. Um, what would you say are some innovative sort of approaches to property management that you're seeing right now or that you guys are implementing in your business? I think it's really important to use technology. Um, so one of the most innovative approaches now is that, you know, back even a couple of years ago, like 3D walkthroughs were insanely expensive. Uh, the Matterport camera, I think it was like six or 8,000 per device. And then the storage fee to do that, to use the Matterport camera, was like a couple hundred dollars a month. So now access to technology from operating systems to allow your team to function um, efficiently, but also provide the right level of detail to owners in our business, all the way through technology of like physical hardware of having 3D cameras to, to showcase the units. So particularly during like the, the time that we're currently facing, yeah. you don't have to bring prospects out to the unit. You can legitimately provide them a 3D walkthrough and that's gonna give them a really good basis to submit an application. Mm-hmm. So you're um, just saying it's it's a lot more affordable now than it was even in the recent past. Yeah. So I think that technology continues to have a tremendous impact on property management, helping us become more efficient, but then also providing a better product to our clients and tenants. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, in my opinion, it all comes down to communication, um, yep. you know, understanding the availability from the, to the tenants, you know, Hey, look, we've got a, a property here. We've got a unit here that's available. Here's what it looks like. And you don't even have to step foot there. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you. And I would imagine also the same from the other side of things in terms of communicating to your clients, to the owners about what's going on. And then also communicating to the people that are actually doing the work, whether they're maintenance folks, whether it's vendors or whatever it may be. To me, it seems like communication is the central process to effective property management. Would you agree? I agree. And I can talk you through one part of the process. So um, there are three major uh, showing softwares out there that property managers use. So one being ShowMojo. We used to use ShowMojo um, until we found out there was like some double billing going on that we weren't happy with, but it's kind of like their process. That's it's no good. Thing. We don't like that. Um, then you have Rently. So I think Rently works really well on the West Coast when it's just lockbox showings. Um, but on the East Coast, when you have to pay a dollar and give us your credit card to go do a self-assisted showing where nobody shows up, it feels a little suspect. So like people on the East Coast don't really trust it as much. Um, and then the last one that we use is called Tenant Turner. So Tenant Turner has a extremely clean user interface and it's only a dollar per unit. I think even for DIY landlords, it's only a dollar per unit. It is wow. awesome. So the cool thing is you can schedule showing 24 hours a day. So uh, via text, phone call, email, as soon as you submit something on Zillow, you submit your information, you're going to receive a follow-up email saying, hey, go out to the showing agent's calendar and book something. So they're going to have preset showings. So it could be like Wednesday at 5 or Friday at 11 a.m. You can choose one of those or you can propose three other times. Our showing agents are going to respond within 24 hours. Now, here's the big thing on both fronts. Sometimes the tenant will book an, or people in general will book an appointment and forget about it. The tenant turn of software is going to follow up with the, te- the prospective tenant 24, 8, and two hours before to confirm that appointment to make sure that you're coming out there. So now we get more in-person showings. The other big thing is if you go on and you book um, you know, showing for Wednesday at 5 because I have that available on my calendar, that automatically gets booked to my calendar and I can check my calendar an hour before 
because if someone doesn't res re respond to that two hour reminder, it automatically comes off my calendar. This is huge. I have to make a comment on this because when I got started doing this, I would like show up to all these appointments because I'm the type of guy when I set an appointment, I'm going to be there. Right. But that is not the case with most tenants. And no. this is, this is actually a huge thought. I love this. And uh, if you, and if you use Craigslist, at least in our area, if you schedule 20 showings, maybe you get one person showing up off of Craigslist. Yeah. So, um, but we found that most prospective tenants, they already have the pre-can searches on Trulia and Zillow. So it's an automatic push. Um, the best part from the client perspective or, or sorry, I step ahead, take a step back. Uh, <laughs> the best part from my perspective of how we get more applications is within an hour after the showing, that prospective tenant's going to receive an email with two links, one for feedback. Um, and we tell them to leave honest feedback. So if the owner's like, uh, I don't think we need to paint the bedroom. Well, that prospective tenant, when they're like, we, I, I would like the bedroom painted, candid feedback, Ooh, right, in, right in a report. That's great. Um, the other link is for an application. And they're going to receive a follow-up every 48 hours. I think it's 48 or 72 hours until they submit an application or opt off the list. Um, the other big thing for owners, so this is something that like, I tried to work with ShowMojo to build when we were with ShowMojo. Um, within Tenant Turner, you can set it. So one time per week for us, it's every Sunday at 9 p.m. The owner gets a report. It's, uh, it's a branded report. It's got my logo with a picture of the property. And it shows how many leads, how many scheduled showings, how many completed showings, and then all the candid feedback. Because in the beginning, a lot of owners are like, well, what are you doing? You know, this rental's been out here for a couple of weeks. What's going on? Well, now they get feedback every single week so they can see the volume and, and what we're working towards. So I'm big on kind of that automated communication. So as long as my team uses a system, the owners can see what we're doing on their behalf. Man, that's an awesome system. I love that. Uh, I love the direct feedback. And it's like, let's observe the trends. All right, if we got one person that said the place is a dump and, you know, seven other people said that it looks great and we got six applications, then obviously we probably don't need to do much. But if we got seven that said, look, you need to clean this thing, you need to paint it X, Y, and Z. I mean, it's kind of obvious, right? Um, yep. and, and I just love, um, also the follow-up I think is so important because, you know, sales, I, I know you know this, but like 95% of all sales are, you know, completed by follow-ups and it's really like right. five, six, seven follow-ups. And right. so I love automating that process. And I know we're not talking about sales, we're talking about leasing, but at the end of the day, it's about reminding, Hey guys, it's here. And then make a sale. Yeah. yeah, it's still a sale. Absolutely. Yep. Um, we're selling units, we're selling occupancy. Um, and I love the reminders as well because, you know, people forget and making it easy also is another component that I see is so awesome with that. It was like, Hey, look, here's the link. You can apply here. Here's the feedback. And then you can apply, click a right. few buttons you're in. So I love that. Right. Jimmy, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about you. I want to, I want to know what's behind the peak performance uh, of uh, Mr. Jimmy Murray here. So talk to me, what sort of habits have you cultivated or been conscious about creating in your life? Yeah, so I'm at a little bit of a curveball, a little bit out of left field here, but I feel, I felt um, beginning of January 20, I was facing some personal issues um, that I'm working through. And then coming into this COVID crisis, like the first three weeks, like being lazy, drinking too much, like it was, it was a slippery slope. And, um, <clears throat> Today is actually the last day of my third week. Um, I've dove into the 75 hard program by Andy Frisella. Yep. So um, 
I, I realized that I was getting soft. And I think, you know, all people fall off the horse. Um, everyone's going to race around their pencil. You're going to make mistakes. You're not always going to be perfect. And I think that there's power in recognizing that. So I recognize that, that I wasn't performing at my peak and I wasn't playing at the level that I wanted to. And I found a program to help me get back there. Um, so the first, so I can talk a little bit about that program. Sure. Um, so Andy Frisella is 75 hard program. It is like something that he says that he's worked on his whole life to come up with. And it's for folks that have fallen off that horse and want to sharpen their spear. So it's two 45 minute workouts a day, which sounds daunting. It's actually not as terrible as it sounds. One has to be indoors and one is outdoors. Um, you have to follow a diet. Um, one gallon of water every single day, one progress pick and no alcohol or cheat meals. So, uh, during in a personal growth book, right? Ten, oh, ten, oh, sorry. Ten, yeah. ten yeah. pages. I missed that one. Come on. Um, Yes. So that's actually the most important one. So going back to like habits. So before when I was in a good rhythm for the two prior years, um, I had picked up a really strong reading habit. I'm going to rewind five years ago when I was still in corporate America. I always set out to read 12 books in a year. I set that goal three years in a row. I never achieved it. The most books I read was seven. And I Interesting. probably like fudged two of them and read a smaller book to get the number up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can't remember what I was listening to, but uh, three years ago, so it would have been uh, beginning of 2018, I realized that it's not about the number of books. It's about the content that we consume. For sure. So I set an interesting goal and it was to read 5,200 pages in a year. And then I mm. broke it down. So within that 5,200 pages, it's 100 pages a week, which is 20 pages five days a week and you get two rest days. It's like the gym, right? So it gives you a little bit of, it gives you a little bit of wiggle room. Um, so that first year that I set up that plan, I read 26 books. Damn, so I love it. It's crazy how, like when you craft the goal, because mm -hmm. mine, I just want to expand my knowledge. I want to build my mind. I want to yeah. build kind of my repertoire and what I bring to the table. And it was less about the number of books that I read. And it was more about consuming that content to, to build my mindset. For sure. I love just reframing what's the outcome here. Is it just to have a quantity of books that you've read beside you that you haven't gleaned any knowledge or wisdom from? Or is it reading and then applying that knowledge into your own life? Right. Or, right. you know, so just breaking it down and sort of reframing your goals from that perspective, because you may have, you may have looked on social media and been inspired by someone else's goals that, you know, Hey, I want to, whatever. I, I have no idea. Whatever the goal is, I want to make certain amount of money. But if you don't have a purpose behind it, then what does it all mean? And if you don't chunk it down into what does this daily activity look like? That's huge. That is absolutely huge. Yeah. So I've got kind of two thoughts on that. One yep. is everyone's going to figure out that I'm Andy, Andy Frisella, not here, but he's really helped me out as an entrepreneur. Um, I was a little soft in the beginning. He's helped me harden up a little bit, um, but he talks about his power five. So what are the five critical activities that you have to do every single day? They're going to be different to everybody, but what are those five? And as long as you get those done every single day, you're going to have a successful day. I um, love it. So one of those for me was reading. Um, so, so that was always huge. Um, and then I built other things into my power five. So at one point it was meditation. At one point it was cooking breakfast at home so that when I got to the office, I was only focused on, um, diving into work and getting it done rather than eating my Dunkin' Donuts and drinking my cup of coffee. Right. Yeah. Um, so you got to figure out what works for you. And for me, it's all like mindset based and things like I would say more personal that are going to set me up for success in my professional life. Yeah. So 
like meditating and clearing my mind, getting my mind going by reading a book. Um, I'm trying to uh, exercising, right? So all those things are really important. And those, those are, were part of my power five. So the power five has always shifted to meet my goals. Yeah. The other big goals conversation, I read the book called uh, four levels of execution. Okay. I don't know if you've heard it. I think that's the name of the book. I've never read of that one. Um, so they talk about the amount of goals that you set. So I had a good 2018 where I read 26 books and <laughs> going to 2019. I'm like, I'm going to set five professional goals, five personal goals, and I'm going to get after all of them. And I might've accomplished two. So I pick up this book early in 2020 and it starts talking about it. It says, Hey, listen, if you set two to three goals every single year, you're going to get after them. If you set four to seven, you might get one and anything above seven, you're not going to do it because, because things happen. So you have to be really specific about your goals. So set those two to three. So honestly, this year I set three and it was prior to reading this book. And I was like, Oh, I figured it out the hard way. I should have read this book. Sooner. <laughs> um, and then they talked about leading and lagging indicators. And I think that's really important setting goals too. So leading indicator in terms of like my book reading is the pages per day. It's showing that I'm picking up the knowledge. The lagging indicators, the knowledge that I actually pick up a good example of leading and lag lagging indicators um, is weight loss. So if you set a weight loss goal, the leading indicator is, all right, I'm working out 30 minutes a day. I'm only eating 1500 calories, whatever the number is. The lagging indicator indicator is the number on the scale. So I think this is, this is something that I picked up from this book, but I think that's really important for folks that are trying to achieve a high level of success, knowing the difference, one, setting the right amount of goals. And then two, understanding the difference between leading and lagging indicators. And that's really going to propel you to achieve those larger and larger goals as you go along. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. Well, and it's, it's about measuring your success, right? Are you that's actually, it. are you hitting the course that you've intended to hit or are you off course? Are you off balance? Do you need a course correct? And right. one of the, one of the things that I love about that is, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable. That's the thing that I love about personal growth is that it's not a competition. It's not, I'm not trying to be better than you. You know, obviously I think both of us, I would imagine are very competitive people and many of the people listening to this <laughs> are competitive. Um, but it's a competition with yourself. It's about becoming 1% better than you were yesterday. And the only way that you can do that is by measuring the, the leading and lagging indicator. So I appreciate you sharing that. But then also I think, um, you know, habits are, you know, building sort of keystone habits in your life, whether it's like all right, reading, when you read, you want to learn more, you want to grow more, you want to think more, you want to write down your ideas more, you want to take more action on your ideas. So that becomes all these different things. The same thing that goes with exercise. When you go and work out, you know what, I'm going to probably eat a better lunch today because I don't want to write up that workout, you know? Yeah. And then, okay, then that becomes all these other things. So what can you do to create levers in your life that then spill over into everything else you do? That's why I'm so passionate about personal growth, because I think if you invest in yourself, then that spills all the way over into your business, into your finances, into your relationships personally, into your time, you know, whatever. I mean, there's right. so many different things. That's, that's just why I love it. I don't know. I don't know about you. So 
you were, I always call it, I read the, the book called The Five Love Languages by Gary Keller. Just, yeah. I'm going to keep going back to the book, but you were speaking my love language when you're talking about you only compete against yourself. So I tell everyone it's like Mario Kart ghost mode. I, when I was, I don't play a lot of video games, but as a kid, I had N64. Oh yeah, me and too. Mario Kart had ghost mode where you, you got to constantly try to beat yourself. And that's about getting 1% better every single day or every time you go out. I like so that. that's like my fun analogy. But the other big thing for, for um, our team at Lion, you can ask any one of our employees. You can walk into the office and say, who do we compete against? The only person we compete against is ourselves. The only company we compete against are, are ourselves. Are there other property managers out there? Yes. Honestly, I don't care what they're doing. I want to stay focused on our team and creating the best quality product that we can. And that's well, really important and been a key tenant of our business. Well, the key word there that you just said it was create, creating the best product, right? Right. You're not competing, but you're creating you know, what's next? You're creating innovation. You're creating a better system to communicate with your clients, to communicate with your tenants, to create with your customers, your vendors, whatever it may be, creating an opportunity for people to get 1% better. Um, so right. I love that. And I think it's just a reminder because you can still be competitive and, and use that spirit in creating something great for yourself and for your business, your colleagues. You don't have to use it from like the scarcity mindset of we must take all <laughs> because, you know, there's, there's only so much to go around when really we can expand the pie. Would you agree? Yeah. So that is something that we tackled towards the end of last year where we realized that we don't want to be the biggest. We want to be the best, right? So we were at roughly 700 units. We fired over 150 units worth of clients between middle of November through the end of the year, December, because real, we realized that they were, they were providing huge lag on us providing the right quality service to the clients that we really enjoyed working with. And we were fortunate that we grew our business to that point where we could say, hey, listen, like, yeah, the revenue is nice, um, but it's more important for us to work with the right clients. And from two perspectives, that makes it more enjoyable for us to come to work every day for us and for our team. And then also, you know, we're late stage in this real estate cycle. So when this market turns and it starts to correct, we have, a, we have a set of well-capitalized clients that we like to work with. So, hey, now we get to help them build their portfolios. And we already know how they like to invest. And now that would be our opportunity to grow the amount of units. I'm not saying we're not taking on more clients, but I would like to grow larger portfolios for a subset of individuals because we really like working with them. All right. Now you're just showing off because you're talking about how you knew the market was turning and all these different things. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm only kidding. Of course. <laughs> no, that's good though. Um, a lot of people always ask me like, where do you think the market's headed? I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you like in hindsight's 2020 now, but uh, no pun intended on the year being 2020. Um, but in 2019, Literally, yeah. like the fall of 2019, everyone's like, well, what do you think? I'm like, well, I know that multifamilies are trading at cap rates at low cap rates in neighborhoods that they shouldn't trade at those low cap rates. Yeah. And they're like, well, what do you think could happen? And I said, I don't know. I think it's going to be some type of black swan event. Mm. And that's exactly what has transpired here recently. I mean, I, but I think that's really easy for someone to say, someone educated to say yeah. like we don't, because I thought it was going to be more of a, I guess it is turned into more of a political event, but no, I was into, yeah. I was anticipating some type of political event to occur, not uh, a crisis where millions of people were impacted, millions of people were impacted and lost their jobs. Um, it was yeah. a little bit different than I would have anticipated, but still that black swan type of event. 
Yeah. I mean, my takeaway from it is just always be ready to expect the unexpected. Like it, you just never know. I was at a, I think you and I actually were at this conference. Um, I didn't, I didn't see you there, but I saw that you guys did a live recording at the conference as well. But one of the, um, one of the economic uh, sort of, you know, I'm sorry, one of the economists was talking about, look, we've got five to seven years more of an expansion here. That's, that's the prediction. And that was a prediction in February. I remember that. Funny. Yeah. And it was literally 30 days later or less that the unforeseen event happened. And there's, you can't put that into an economic model. No, you can't. You can't. Um, so one, you've got to be fairly well capitalized, right? So never, never bet your last dollar. Um, and then the other part is um, you got to be able to pivot. So when these things happen, um, like we had to shift our strategy in terms of how we reach out to tenants. So we actually started sending like weekly emails, sorry, transitioning back to property management here, but we ended up sending weekly emails to the tenants being like, Hey, reminder, only flush toilet paper down the toilet. Even if you can't find it on the shelves, call us, we'll try and find some for you. Or like the next one was, here's how you apply to unemployment. And here's how you go after your $1,200 stimulus check. Um, so that goes back to that service and holding them accountable. Right. Um, but it's really important that when these events occur, you've got to be able to pivot no matter what business you're in real estate or anything else. Um, we have a client who I love working with. He owns a custom suit company. Well, people aren't buying custom suits now. They're all working from home, right? Yep. Um, they're now making masks. So they changed their assembly line to make masks. Mm. So those pivots as an entrepreneur and a high performer are very, very important. Yeah. Be malleable, be resourceful and communicate. At the end of the day, it's like, how can I add value in this situation? There's always going to be an opportunity to add value. And your choice was to communicate. Here are the resources that are available to you. Hey, resident, look, we're all dealing with this. You know, I could just like put my head in the sand and just like hope and pray that everybody pays rent or I can help you understand here are the options because not all of us are as plugged in as we, you know, claim to be. Um, so right. I, I love that, but, uh, man, that, that was awesome. And, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I want to be respectful of your time and, uh, we are going to dive into the rare air questionnaire, which is the awesome. our rapid fire section. Look, elevate's all about elevating to a life without limits. It's all about expanding our own capacity, expanding our knowledge, expanding our reach and, you know, getting 1% better as we mentioned earlier, um, you know, in the show. And I'd love to know, we've already talked about a few books and you've talked to me about the development of your reading habit. I'd love to know what are two or three of the most impactful books that you've read? Yep. Um, so number one, uh, that I used to always recommend before I found my new number, I'm going to save that. That's kind of like the the big firework, but (laughs) I always tell people they should start with the richest man in Babylon, three simple key themes. And if you can follow those, then you can create wealth. The one that I really like is called The Wealthy Gardener. This is my new favorite book of all time. It is kind of clunky. It's over 400 pages. That book synthesizes like 10 or 12 really important books that I've read, and it relates it to real life stories. So I'm an experiential learner. If you tell me a story, I'm going to learn much more quickly um, outside of me experiencing it on my own versus you like giving me the example of like reading a math book. Like, I'd rather you tell me a story and that's going to stick in my brain and allow me to learn at a faster rate. Love it. Love it. All right. We'll put links in the show notes to both of those books. I haven't, I haven't heard of the, uh, the wealthy gardener. So I'll definitely have to check that out. Myself. That's been like my secret sauce. I don't know how I found that. I stumbled across it on a Kindle one day and, uh, no one has heard of that book. So hopefully 
I should I should actually call the author to see if I can get some uh, some money some from royalties selling it. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you you've been talking about farming the whole time here, and you got gardening and all this stuff, man. I thought we were going to talk real estate, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll have you on part two. We'll talk about your green thumb there. It sounds like there we go. Uh, so, what's the biggest way outside of what we've talked about today that you elevate your life on a daily basis? Yeah, honestly, it's just being mindful of what you do. Right. So trying to focus and dial it in and be present in everything that you do. Um, and this is, this is something that I've struggled with this year as I face some uh, personal hurdles that I've had to clear. Um, but I think it's really important to remain present and that's how you're going to be able to, to achieve more as well. Yeah. And I've, I've said this a lot lately. It is not easy to do that um, at all, but maybe it's just a reminder that that's what you're striving to do. Right. right. I don't know about you. That's Absolutely. sometimes that's, that's where I just need to go with it is, you know what, I'm, I'm striving to be more present today. And Absolutely. I'm I with you. That. What's the, uh, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you beyond obviously what you do in terms of communicating and, you know, developing systems, being innovative, being thoughtful. What else, uh, what else are you doing to elevate others around you? Yeah. Huge on coaching. So I think one of the biggest things and particularly is like, I hate the word boss, but, um, working, working with my team, um, I always try to coach them to get better. So we always have an open feedback loop if there's something that I do that they don't understand or something that they disagree with, let's have a conversation about it. Right. Hey, Jimmy, I saw you do this. Why did we do it that way? Why wouldn't we do it, you know, this way? Um, so it's having that open feedback loop, providing constant feedback and coaching. Um, not only from myself to my team, but my team back to me to say, Hey, listen, I didn't really like that. Maybe you should have approached it differently. Um, uh, removing the ego. Um, and a good book that goes into that is principles by Ray Dalio. Oof. Very good. So another clunky read, but it, I guess it proves that I actually read these books. Yeah, that's a very, very potentially yeah. it was. Yep. Yeah, exactly. We'll give you a quiz on the next uh, next version of this to make sure that you read every page. Uh, <laughs> I love it, man. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking time to to share your wisdom with Elevate Nation. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd share? Yeah, wake up every day and get after it. You know. I hate to use the term, the world is your oyster, but particularly now, if this comes out during quarantine or after quarantine, there's going to be a huge opportunity. So wake up every day, put in the work, and you are going to be able to achieve your why of the streams. Every single day and, and set your five intentions for the day and get after it. And uh, man, I love it. This has been a ton of fun and a lot of nuggets of wisdom here, a lot of things to take action on. And if your property manager isn't talking like this, maybe you need to take a take an inventory of what you got there. So that's, that's one thing I would highly recommend, but Jimmy, what's the, uh, what's the best way that elevate nation can stay engaged with you and learn more about what you do? Yep. Best way is to give me a follow um, on my personal Instagram page. It's uh, the notorious CFK CFK stands for cash flow king. Absolutely. And you want to check out lionpropertygroup.com. Of course, we'll put a link in the show notes there so you can learn more about what they're doing and uh, Jimmy, man, this has been awesome. I want to re uh, remind Elevate Nation, it's all about repetition. Repetition is the mother of skills. So re-listen to the show, take notes, and apply immediately. What are the top three key distinctions that you learned today? Share that with someone else as well. Pay it forward because you know what? We think that everybody has the same information that we do. That's not the case. I mean, there's a lot of people that are missing some key insights that can really take them to the next level. So pay it forward and share this with someone else tag Jimmy in your screenshot, share it on social that. media and tag somebody else because that's an easy way to share, share with them your top three distinctions and apply immediately. Because at the end of the day, we all know it's all about 
taking massive action, showing up every single day. And uh, with that said, Jimmy, thanks again for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Elevate Nation. We'll see you next time. And until next time, go out and elevate your life and others around you. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.